You're listening to the Earn That Body Podcast, episode number 174. Welcome to the Earn That Body Show with Kim Eagle. Kim is an award-winning personal trainer. She trains her clients all over the world online and is passionate about empowering people by getting fit and healthy. Hey team, I hope you're doing great. I'm super excited about our podcast episode today because I'm doing a fantastic interview with a woman who did a TED talk about something called gray area drinking. Now, it came up at perfect timing because recently in a couple of my Facebook private groups for the Earn That Body community, we had been talking about things sort of nonchalantly. Like, I'll give you an example. We asked everybody, would you rather give up coffee or wine or alcohol, basically? And it was a real toss-up for some people. They were like, oh, I can't live without my coffee. And other people were like, oh, I can't live without my wine. Well, in another uh, discussion in one of our private groups, Some of the women had talked about giving up alcohol for this month or some other people said, oh, I should maybe try that. And that's when one of my clients emailed me and said, you got to see this TED talk by Jolene Park because she's talking about a certain kind of drinking. And I feel like this discussion has come up quite often in our community and it might be something you want to talk about. Well, I went ahead and watched the TED Talk, and I have to say, I was deeply connected to what she was saying. Not because I'm a gray area drinker, which I'd have no problem admitting if I was, I just, I personally don't drink that much, but I could see everything she was saying and how it relates to a lot of things my clients tell me. So I was lucky enough to ask Jolene and she accepted uh, to be on the podcast. So everybody, I hope you're excited. This is Jolene Park. And just so you have a little background about her, she's a functional nutritionist, health coach. And as I said, she got to be a TED Talk speaker. And in her TED Talk about gray area drinking, she shares her personal alcohol and anxiety story and explains the importance of replenishing our neurotransmitters and nourishing our nervous system in a comprehensive and consistent way that doesn't include alcohol. So everybody, enjoy this episode with Jolene Park. Well, I'm so excited because today we have a very awesome guest on and a very important topic that I don't think is talked about enough. So I'm going to just dive right in and introduce Jolene, who is someone who is talking about gray area drinking. Welcome, Jolene. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I've, I've been looking forward to, to chatting with you. So thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself, like what, you know, what is your profession and whatnot, and and then tell us what is gray area drinking? Of course. So I am a functional nutritionist. I certified in nutrition in 1999 and worked in corporate wellness um, for about 10 years. So I was on site with companies teaching three-hour wellness classes, traveling around the country and and, um, you, you know, talking nutrition, but also kind of talking the big picture, comprehensive wellness. It's not just what we eat, as you know, it's yeah. the pieces. And so I was, was teaching that and loving that. And, you know, I love functional nutrition and, and everything, health and wellness. Um, and I, you know, drank like most women around me were drinking. Um, there was nothing about my drinking that looked out of the ordinary, um, you know, in functional medicine conferences that I attended for my education, 
part of corporate wellness. We'd have networking events. You know, there was wine, there was there was alcohol, and and we'd even associate it um, with you know, it's like, ooh, what's the higher antioxidant kind of red wine cake? <laughs> and you know, we'd talk about that. Sure. So, um, so there, you know, and, and I would would have have drinks. So there was nothing. I never kind of had that outward persona of like the party girl. Um, but you know, I loved red wine and what people didn't know was, you know, I'd often be out with friends or, you know, out working, traveling around the country after, um, you know, working after a week, going out on an expense account, having a couple glasses of wine and then, you know, going back home or back to my hotel room and opening another bottle. And it was becoming very easy for me in a real pattern, um, you know, to say, I'm going to have one glass of wine. And that one glass often turned into one bottle on a real frequent occasion. Um, And nothing outwardly happened from that. Like I didn't get a DUI. You know, no one pulled me aside and said, you know, maybe you should should cut back a little. Um, Because, again, it was kind of how most people were drinking, you know, a glass or two or three or four of wine. Um, But for me, it was it was becoming problematic. It was becoming too much. And. So I, you know, have periods where as a nutritionist, I say, oh, I'm doing a paleo challenge or, um, you know, I'm going to take 30 days and, and do some program. And within that, I wouldn't be drinking. And so it just went under the radar. Nobody blinked at that. Mm-hmm. Because I was doing something kind of wellness nutrition um, connected. But, you know, the real root of it was me silently and quietly struggling with not wanting to drink as much as I was drinking. And, um, and then ultimately in 2014, I, I came to a point where I decided I'm, I'm quitting for good. Mm-hmm. And what, what, I mean, what made you feel that you needed to quit for good? Like what were sort of the, the symptoms you were feeling that you realized it was too much? So much of it was the back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, for years I went back and forth with, I would stop drinking for weeks or months saying, you know, after, cause I'd always felt awful, the, you know, the next day. Sure. Um, I love that initial feeling of a couple glasses of wine. And then after drinking the bottle the next day, yeah, I, you know, I just was queasy and, and mm-hmm. my blood sugar would drop and, and I would hide that. You know, mm-hmm. this is what I say too is I, off, I feel like I hid more of the next day, how I felt mm-hmm. than hiding like how I was actually drinking. Um, and so, you know, I'd be in meetings and feel like, oh my God, I'm going to puke. And nobody ever knew that, you right. know, there's this mental thing going on of like, oh God, oh God, like I'm going to have to run out of the room. And, and it was like, I can't keep drinking like this. Like I can't keep, you know, doing it. Here I am working in wellness, uh-huh. roll up because of, of how I drank the night before. So then I'd be like, I'm, I'm stopping. And I would, you know, and I, I was able to stop. And, but then after a couple weeks or months, I'd be like, why am I being so restrictive? Mm-hmm. I don't need to be so all or nothing. I don't you know, need to, to completely be so black and white. So I drink again and it would go back to that same, it was just a groundhog day. Sure. It just kept, you know, over and over. And so that was really for me because of years of that. Uh, I mean, you know, of stopping, restarting, stopping. I just got to this point of it's like, I know what this Groundhog Day is. Mm-hmm. I, I know, you know, what happens. There's, it, there's no kind of unknown. Like, there's no illusion now. Of, like, maybe I can have a glass. Because I'd always want more. I'd mm-hmm. always want more. I'd always want to order more after that one glass. And so it was just a real kind of come to Jesus conversation with myself of, like, 
this is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing, and, and I went through all the scenarios of like, what if I go to Italy? I wasn't dating at the time, like some romantic, uh, you know, European holiday with some new great guy. Am I really not going to drink? Mm-hmm. No, like this is it. This is you it. Know, mm-hmm. What if something really catastrophic happens? Am I really, you know, not going to drink? And I was like, no, you know, good and bad things will happen in the future. But I'm making this decision um, that alcohol for me is just no longer an option. There's other options to get through the good and bad things. Sure. But I knew in that moment, it just got real resolute for me. I'm just going to stop drinking. And then when did you come up or discover that this is considered what's called gray area drinking? Yeah. So, you know, my first year of not drinking in 2015 um, it was pretty, it was, I was real quiet about it. You know, I was still working in wellness, doing, doing my paleo coaching and that kind of thing. Um, and, and every once in a while I'd kind of throw up a, a something on Instagram, but, but it was a pretty quiet year for me. Um, and today there's all kinds of people on Instagram talking about it. There's books and, and podcasts out, but, but that first year, um, I didn't really have that. And mm-hmm. then the second year I met a woman named Annie Grace. And um, she wrote a book called This Naked Mind. She, she and I are both here in Colorado. And, um, st- you know, got to be friends with her. And she had just published her book. And there was more kind of movement, more more talk online. And so I started posting more on Instagram. I, I did a podcast interview with a real popular podcast about not drinking. And people heard my story there. And so the more I kind of started talking about a year and a half later, saying as a nutritionist, as a high-functioning entrepreneur, um, you know, woman, that this was my story. And then what happened was so many women came out of the woodwork <laughs> saying, this is my story. Yes. Especially these high-achieving, you know, professional, especially even healthcare, other nutritionists, other coaches, um, nurses, nurse practitioners, therapists were mm-hmm. emailing me. And then I started shifting my coaching specifically to this this gray area work mm-hmm. um, because you know realizing how prevalent it is but great the gray area term um, I did not make up I, I have a podcast called edit editing our drinking in our lives and, and my co-host Aiden Donnelly Raleigh she did a year without wine she was doing a lot of the back and forth finally had came to her own quick point she and I now do this podcast in her blogging about that year without wine she'd written a blog post saying You know, I I don't identify with as an alcoholic label, but I'm not an every now and again drinker. Mm. I'm in the gray area between those two. Mm. She started talking about that. Her and I partnered up for the podcast. But it's also if you Google the NIH, National Institute of Health and gray area drinking, um, the NIH has been doing studies and looking at this, um, this data. So so technically, um, the NIH was probably, you know, the first to come out with the data and the science behind this gray area between end stage stereotypical kind of alcoholism mm-hmm. and every now and again drinking, it's this gray area. Okay, awesome. That makes sense. And I think, I mean, I, I can't even imagine how many emails you started getting because I, I know just from when I post this podcast, I'm, there's going to be a lot of clients who come out and say, that's me. Like, I can totally relate. And I don't know about you, but you know you're you're in the the healthcare industry. Um, I'm seeing so many people right now on anti-anxiety meds and always telling me how stressed they are. Do you feel like this anxiety and stress that so many women have right now um, is sort of an underlying cause for this gray area drinking? Absolutely, 
Absolutely. So, you know, another part of my story is the anxiety story. I was always an anxious kid. Um, you know, in junior high, I had I had panic attacks. I was I was scared of. I had this phobia of throwing up. Oh. <laughs> you know, a bit of a hypochondriac, and so I've always had a bit of that that anxiety just just built in. And and learned the more actually I learned nutrition and learned how to balance my blood sugar and and all of that. It, you know, it helped tremendously. Um, but yes, I was managing anxiety with alcohol. And, um, and not kind of being honest about that and not realizing it, which I think is the case for, uh, you know, a lot of women. And, and again, I'm working in corporate wellness. You know, we're, we're doing biometrics with companies of like doing the blood pressure and cholesterol and, you know, uh, what can we do to kind of offset the stress in the company? Um, but the white elephant in the room that we never talked about was alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it's also, you know, I'm talking about get your good fats and eat your protein and the whole thing. And then drinking a bottle of wine mm-hmm. on weekends, and and everybody else was doing that too. And it was and and I I never even it never even dawned on me that other people did this. Right. Like I would I would download and read the the alcoholic memoirs, um, like drinking a love story is, is a memoir I read years <laughs> ago by Carolyn Knapp, and a lot of people have read that. And you know, kind of on those hungover Saturday mornings, I was seeking like. A book. I'm like, who? At, like, is there a story like mine out there? Mm. And um, you know, and I, I couldn't find it. And then the more lately, it's just kind of like something happened. Like this tipping point happened around 2013-14. Um, and there's you know different programs online, people on Instagram, people writing books that are talking more of like it, they didn't go to treatments. You know, they didn't have to go to a rehab center, but the way they were drinking was problematic. And it's the way most people drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is. And so I don't know, I, I know you were talking about kind of the anxiety piece, but you know, yes, um, so many women, I mean, just the the push to perform and produce and, you know, the achievements. Oh, and, yeah. And, um, and the silent anxiety that's behind that, that, that we don't talk about, but yet it's socially acceptable to have drinks with girlfriends. Oh know? my gosh, yes. And we're going to talk about that too, for sure. <laughs> That's sort of how how so many people get through, like I'll say even like being a mom. You know, being a mom is, is such a hard thing and I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, when my son was two and I had just become a single mom, I remember those nights where it was like, mama needs her wine, <laughs> you know? Oh. But I feel like that's become a a statement that so many moms have really like attached to that like every night they need their wine and whether it was a stressful day or not it's just become this thing that moms do and then they do it with their friends and it's become a social thing and it's really I think like what's happened to you and so many people is that it it's gotten a little out of control I guess and I guess that's where I wonder like how how does someone know if they're a great area drinker, Jolene? Like, what would you say to someone right now? Like, are there certain, like, five things they might have if they're a gray area drinker? Yeah, well, so, you know, first I, I back it up to, you know, that this isn't my opinion. You know, this is the data. And, and I certainly wasn't aware of this five years ago before I quit drinking. I wish I, I, wish I was. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, you know, the, the CDC, the World Health Organization, um, you know, there is no safe or recommended intake level of alcohol, you know, and I know there was, a, you know, things will get shared sometimes about like, oh, the heart health. And yeah. You know, of everyone. Well, you know, 
what they're talking about there is is five ounces mm-hmm. and kind of like you know one time yeah yeah <laughs> like kind of have, you know and um so we're not talking about i mean most restaurants i never poured five ounces yeah so you know it's a very very small amount and so if um we're drinking five ounces of wine not six eight ten not olivia pope you yeah. know style like fishbowl <laughs> but if we're drinking five ounces of wine um every day just just one glass that's moderate drinking right if we drink two or more that's heavy risky drinking so i like to back it up that it just you know again this isn't my opinion this is the, the science right now the, the health recommendations there is no safer recommended intake and it doesn't take much to be a heavy risky drinker two five ounces you know five ounce glasses of wine so as far as kind of you know characteristics um, I work with clients all the time. I've worked with hundreds of gray area drinkers over the last four years. And, and a big characteristic often is that back and forth. Yeah. So um, stopping for, you know, kind of a New Year's resolution or a dry January or, or whatever. And of like, oh, I really got to rein this in. And then being like, why am I, you know, why am I being so restricted? So mm-hmm. that's a huge characteristic. And, and it's an inner kind of struggle. Of, it's a you know a binging basically mm-hmm. of, of comp- stopping completely and then going back to a big just blowout um, like that's not normal drinking it's mm-hmm. not healthy drinking mm-hmm. so so you know that's a biggie and and really it's just kind of that if that little small voice inside of you is like I can't keep doing this you know it's that 3 a.m. kind of wake up nauseous dry mouth yeah. <laughs> Wait, we're trying to piece it back together. You know, what what happened? I was only going to have a glass. So it's just a lot of that internal self-loathing, ruminating, um, beating ourselves up, mm-hmm. and ultimately knowing. Like, there's that part of us that knows this is too much, mm-hmm. and it doesn't take much at all to hit the too much mark. Yeah, and to constantly not be feeling good. Like, you know, the amount of time you feel good with that first glass compared to the amount of time you're feeling terrible that night or the next day is probably a huge way to de- to determine if you're maybe that gray area drinker. Totally, totally. Interesting. Um, yeah, you know, people who aren't in the gray area have a glass and, you know, stop at a glass and don't kind of think about the next glass or, you right. know, should they, that, I mean, and there truly are people out there like that. And, you know, can go weeks, months, and just, it's just, they're like, yeah, I could take it or leave it. Um, but once we're in kind of that bargaining and, and oh, I, I, oh, you know, should I have a drink? Okay, I'll have a drink. Okay, I'll have another. It, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, absolutely. And I was looking at some, some statistics, which I think are quite mind-blowing personally. I'm just going to read them for you, which you already know I'm for sure. But it says female alcohol use disorder in the United States increased 83.7% between 2002 and 2013, according to a 2017 study sponsored by the NIAAA. It says high-risk drinking defined as more than three drinks in a day or seven in a week for women is on the rise among women about 58%, according to another 2017 study. And then it also says a 2018 study found a steep rise in the rate of alcohol-related ER visits between 2006 and 2014, and increases were larger for women than men. Yeah. I mean, 
it's definitely on the rise and it's definitely something that I'm so glad that, I mean, I know you say it's not just you, but I'm so glad there are people that are starting to talk about this because I think the more that you tell your story, the more eyes you're going to open. Like I can imagine a strong majority of the women listening to this podcast might have never even thought they had a problem because they're not technically an alcoholic. But when they hear some of these things you're saying, they're really going to connect to that. So I think that it's certainly important. Now, let me ask you this. You had, um, and you did a wonderful TED Talk, by the way. And so I will definitely post the link to your TED Talk, which is how I found you. And you say, it's time for practical training to nourish our nervous system in a revolutionary way. And I thought that was incredibly beautifully worded, first of all. But how do we do this? What are you talking about when you're talking about practical training and nourishing our nervous system? Because I'm assuming what you're potentially saying is the alcohol we were trying to do that with, that wasn't working. So what can we do? Yeah, and that's exactly it. You know, we haven't had any training or modeling of um, how to regulate our our body and, and our mood. And, you know, so the reality is uh, women, it, it is a very different time in history than any other time. And those statistics you just read are, are you know, solid. And, and the, you know, those are the numbers um, of how women are drinking in this culture of like the mommy juice and, and all of that. But what's going on? Um, and what's going on is it's just nonstop, you know, busy, busy, uh, produce outward energy, achieve, keep it together, look good, um, the whole thing. And, and how do we, you know, the truth is, is people are anxious and, um, and also, you know, there's that depression there's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good to just constantly, Mm -hmm. um, you know, be on the move. And so how do we regulate that? Um, and then how I work with it is functional nutrition and the somatic approach. So my training is in both. And I look at the biochemistry of, you know, what's depleted, what's deficient. And I talk about the neurotransmitters um, in my TED Talk, like you mentioned. So, you know, when we're constantly going and and not sleeping and stressed and worrying and achieving, we deplete our our neurochemicals much quicker, our GABA, serotonin, dopamine. And GABA is particularly connected with anxiety. So when our GABA gets depleted, um, for all kinds of reasons, even you know, st- eating a lot of sugar, drinking a lot of alcohol will deplete those those neurochemicals. Then it doesn't feel good. We you know we feel then more anxious, and so the body's trying to regulate. It's trying to bring us back up to baseline, and momentarily, kind of that first 20 minutes of a drink or eating a sugary cookie, there's kind of that mimicking that false positive of like, oh, uh, that's a feeling of GABA, like. Oh, it just brought my anxiety down. If you know, I can my mind can kind of downshift a bit, but it, it actually then depletes those neurochemicals even more. So, I, you know, I work with where you know what got depleted. No shame, no blame. I mean, the body is constantly breaking down, rebuilding. But you know, do we need to build up our GABA receptors um, and boost our GABA more? Boost our serotonin. And there's certain foods that can do that. There's certain nutrients. There's lifestyle practices, exercises. And this is where the rubber meets the road with wellness and with nutrition. It's not just doing something because it's a good thing to do. It actually boosts neurochemicals. And when we feel better, we're not as apt to reach out to a substance 
to help us feel better. Mm-hmm. But it's more of kind of that natural process. And then the other thing that I, I look to is the somatic work. Um, soma means body. So I work with that fight, flight, freeze response in the stress response. And, uh, you know, are we, is our switch always on? Are we in that hypervigilant mode um, where it's hard to shut down? You know, at the end of the day, women will say, I, I want that reward. And so what do then we, um, which is very valid, but what can we do to help our system downshift to come out of that fight, flight, freeze response um, and regulate that? And so a lot of that is also things like, you know, yoga and walking in nature and breath techniques. And they have very specific regulating mechanisms on the brain and on the nervous system. Awesome. And so like basically what you're saying here is we don't need the wine to fix these issues. There are things that we can be doing that will take care of these neurotransmitters just like we think the alcohol is. Yeah, and and it's, you know, for the health and wellness industry, it's it gets exciting because I, I think sometimes with health and wellness, it can be just like another thing we need to do or we're trying to, you know, fix ourselves or, you know, it's another thing on the to-do list. And what I say to clients is, is you know, do you get an effect? Like what happens when you do yoga? And often they'll be like, I don't know, I just did it because I'm supposed to do it. I heard it's good. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, well, you know, maybe doing yoga isn't your biochemical kind of connection, which is fine. Yoga, it's not that, you know, yoga is good or bad. it, It depends on the person. And so when we drink, we get an effect. So when you do a breath technique, when you go out and walk in nature, when you, you know, stay really hydrated throughout the day with water, what do you notice? And so I'm always working with clients of like coming back to what was the effect. And if you're not getting an effect, don't waste your time and add more to your to-do list. We really want to customize and find that thing that makes you feel better because that's where the deficiency has been. Right. I always think it's interesting when clients do my programs, I encourage them to only have one or two drinks a week. And I do talk about what a true serving size is, which is always a a big shock when you have someone actually pour the five ounces out. Um, But one of the things that almost all of my clients say is, I never slept better than when I was on your program. (laughs) And it's amazing, you know, all the different effects that alcohol have on us. And we think... I'm going to drink and that's going to help me sleep. It's the absolute opposite. Alcohol plays such an impact in our sleep cycle. And that obviously impacts our health, you know, in a million other ways. But yeah, uh, the alcohol is just, the impacts are just absolutely enormous. But don't you think sleeping is definitely one of them? Totally, totally. And that's, you know, I mentioned um, a minute ago about kind of that 3 a.m. waking up. Like I think every, so many people... You know, if we're drinking too much, that's the experience of right. not, you know, getting that um, interrupted sleep and waking up um, in the middle of the night and being like, oh my God, physically, emotionally, fe- not feeling well. And so, what happens initially when we drink alcohol for about 30 minutes, we get a bit of a GABA feeling. It's not a true GABA boost, but it's that feeling of like, oh, my anxiety has been soothed a little bit. I'm able to kind of downshift and my mind slows down for a little bit. But then after that 30 minutes or so, what happens is it really spikes cortisol because mm-hmm. the body sees alcohol as a poison. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is. Uh, and again, I, I'm not like anti, you know, I don't think everybody should stop drinking. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I'm not like, you know, this big, you know, anti-alcohol, but just biochemically, when we drink alcohol, the body releases cortisol. And so what that does then is that then starts to deplete dopamine, which when our dopamine is depleted, it makes it harder to stay focused Mm -hmm. and to stay on track and to stick with things. And so it's this vicious cycle of we fatigue our adrenal glands, that adrenaline is revving, that cortisol, which keeps us awake, which wakes us up, which is hard to sleep. And it just becomes this, it's like everything hormonally and kind of brain chemical wise starts going you know, in the opposite direction of the direction we want it to go in. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, sleep is a huge, as you say, a huge piece that people notice when they're drinking and when they're not drinking. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we're talking so much about women, but I have to assume that gray area drinking happens to men too, right? Is there any difference between men and women when it comes to this? Yeah, I mean, you know, the numbers you shared, um, it, it, those are those are really interesting numbers right now because we truly have seen a spike in how women drink in a way in history that we've never seen before. So what we're finding is, you know, men have, have stayed a little bit kind of status quo <laughs> with, yeah. with, with their drinking numbers. Um, men also have a very, you know, different metabolism with, yeah. with their, um, how, you know, their fat process and um, that fat metabolism of breaking down the alcohol. So, yes, certainly men, uh, you know, drink in the gray area. I, I have ma- uh, male clients. Um, but I think, you know, the conversation with women and what's going on with women and their anxiety right now is it's an epidemic like it's a public health epidemic um everybody male or females can benefit by um just from like a a general health perspective i mean there's seven cancers that are connected with alcohol Mm. but um but men they've stayed kind of the course with Mm -hmm. how they've been their drinking levels essentially but women there's been a real spike lately Mm -hmm. i see this real uh, like analogous thing with the gray area drinking for women and fad diets the you know like every monday i'm on a new diet I'm feeling this relationship with that and, you know, with the, the women who are like, okay, I'm quitting drinking. Okay, I'm back on drinking. And that I'm wondering if there's an association with that as well. Well, I mean, I, I think, it, you know, there is that binge deprivation cycle. Yeah. Uh, that, that we can we can switch to anything. Uh-huh. Um, it can be food. It can be exercise. It can be alcohol. And there's an underlying thing there of, you know, what are we depriving us? What are we feeling like we don't have permission to have mm-hmm. pleasure and reward and downtime and relaxation and comfort, which we can drink all the alcohol, eat all the food in the world, and they're never going to deliver those things. Mm-hmm. And the binging is just kind of that self, um, you know, harm in a way right. of self-abuse. And so we cycle between those two. And, and as women, we, we can use anything. It can be, you know, toxic relationships, alcohol, food, um, whatever. So, yes, there's there's that pattern. As far as, you know, women saying, you know, I'm not drinking this week or this month, um, I think the more we're talking about it and making it more of a norm socially, mm-hmm. the better. Because it's breaking that stigma of, you know, not bad enough and not being an alcoholic because, you know, what is that? That bar, no pun intended, always moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's been a real disservice of like, well, I'm not an alcoholic or I'm not that bad. Right. There's always going to be somebody worse than us. Yeah. And so now if we can just kind of socially, publicly be like, you know what, I'm, I'm just taking a month off. And for people to be like, oh, cool. You know, I've been thinking about the same thing or 
the, the more that people share that, um, the better, not that I'm promoting a, a binge deprivation cycle, but, right. um, but to, to just make this whole question and reflection of your relationship with alcohol, more of just a commonplace conversation. Right. Do you, do you consider alcohol to be a drug? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, as you called it a poison. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So my client, she, uh, my client who actually is the one who sent me your TED Talk link, she had some great questions for you as well that I've incorporated into this podcast. Um, and one of the things she said is, why is it that alcohol is the only drug that people who actively use it are viewed as the healthy ones, while those who have chosen to stop are viewed as having the problem? Imagine a heroin addict shooting up while looking at his friend who no longer does heroin saying, man, you must be a real addict because you aren't shooting up anymore. What's wrong with you? It's so awful that you aren't doing heroin anymore. Your life must be miserable. How do you go to parties or have fun? I'm sure glad I don't have a problem like you do. I can handle my heroin. I mean, I had never thought of it like that until she wrote that out. But isn't it true? Like alcohol has become this thing where if you're not drinking it, you're the one that something's must be wrong with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the stigma um, that I'm really passionate about shaking and, and breaking. And I mean, that's such a brilliant um, way to put it. And, you know, we can do the same thing with cigarettes. Like people quit smoking cigarettes and we high five and say, awesome, that's amazing. Yes. You know, um, or whatever drug, cocaine or heroin or or sugar. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like, how did you do it? And you're off sugar. And then alcohol, it's like, what what's wrong? Like, do, are, do you have a problem? Um, so yeah, and you know, where does that come from? I mean, this, this is a book. Yeah. <laughs> so marketing, um, yeah. uh-huh. you know, the alcohol companies have, have a real vested interest, obviously. In um, you know how this is mar- how we're marketed to, um, you know so that's one place to start. It's just kind of the branding and the marketing. But culturally, yeah, it's our drug, and it's it's like taking candy front you know away from a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, we hold on to it very tightly. But th- that example is such a great example of how we shame cigarettes and and sugar and cocaine and everything else and then you're like oh my god like why would you stop drinking alcohol yeah and and is this another reason why so many people have issues with drinking alcohol because we want to fit in we don't want to be the person that everybody looks at and says well what's wrong with you right which is crazy um do you think there is a level of moderate drinking that is okay and what what is sort of the defining line of moderate okay versus gray well i mean to me technically i mean gray is moderate drinking you know so it goes back to um what what you and i were saying a minute ago about more you know for women seven or more drinks a week is is heavy risky drinking so that's one drink a day sure so you know what is moderate drinking one five ounce glass of wine Mm -hmm. that's you know if we want to just nail it down that that's it anything beyond that or you know or more that accumulates at, in a week's time is is not moderate drinking. Right. So, you know, and, and our moderate drinkers, gray area drinkers, um, it's all kind of, you know, how it is for you. Is there that inner question and struggling and wondering and I'm going to quit? Why am I quitting? You know, you're on the spectrum with right. that back and forth kind of thinking. 
Now, you had even mentioned like sober October or something like that. What is your opinion on the temporary abstinence months? You know, because to me, it, it reminds me of like fad diets. But what, how do you feel about those months when they do dry January and things like that? Yeah, I, you know, I have a little different opinion. I, some of my colleagues in, in this industry um, are, are very, are, you know, come from the place of, look, this was a problem through and through for me. And it's not easy to stop. And, you know, there's a lot of, of pieces to look at, the biochemical, the somatic, the, the trauma, um, you know, our habit patterns. And so it's not just kind of this, this frivolous little, you know, whimsical thing of take a month off. Um, and I hear that and I understand that. Um, but I also say any time off from alcohol is a benefit to your body and brain. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you take a month, I think that's amazing. And, um, you know, and, and I know, I mean, everything, you know, there's the, the trends that start happening and that kind of thing, but we can't deny, um, again, the, the cancer link, the, you know, breast cancer connection with, with alcohol. That was one of the first things my nurse practitioner told me when I called her, um, you know, about seven years ago. And I said, my anxiety's really up and, you know, I, and I, I'm drinking too much red wine. And she said, you know about the breast cancer connection, don't you? And I did then seven years ago, even working in wellness. So, you know, we know all these things. And so I think any time off, and we can see it on blood markers, it doesn't take long to see liver enzymes start to go down, to see your glucose um, start to balance. Uh, you know, so there's benefits of any time you can take. Again, I, I want to be sensitive to the whole binge deprivation cycle, but. Yeah, uh, take time off from alcohol. I think it's a great thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, if anything else, you know, just being off the alcohol for that long, hopefully people can feel all the benefits, like the sleeping wonderful again and not feeling dehydrated all the time. And, you know, you would hope that some of those positive feelings would would strike something with them mentally to, to want them to do it. I just worry that sometimes people are like checking off the days on that calendar and just they have that bottle ready for them <laughs> on that, you know, that next date. Um, so yeah, sometimes I worry about that huge deprivation and then, you know, are they willing to like try to ease back into a normalcy of alcohol or does it become that full on binge? Yeah, and that does happen, kind yeah. of that white knuckling, you know, counting down the days. That yeah. does happen. But but ultimately, I mean, you know, that's something then to look at. Um, you know, then those are that's who I'm coaching. Yes. <laughs> and working yeah. with. So that's that's that inner it's a lot of clarity can happen on so many levels. And that's why I think there's a real benefit. And and one of the, the clarity pieces is if you are really counting down and finding like I just cannot wait for two more days to have that drink. That's valuable information. Very true. And we need to work with that. And and we kind of don't know how it's going to play out until you actually, you know, take that month. And right. how difficult was it for you? If it's difficult, we need to pay attention to that. Very true. Very true. Do you think that the hardest part of admitting gray area drinking or even... I, well, I guess admitting it for sure, but um, do you think it's the relationship that you're going to have with your friends? Like this fear that if you admit it and you stop drinking, that your entire social life is going to change? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the, the biggest thing, um, probably number one topic that I deal with clients one-on-one -on -one with. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, the reality is, I actually just posted about this on Instagram um, this morning, but, you know, the truth is my experience in my life and, and, you know, my clients' lives is 
Um, often the anticipation of going into a social event is much worse than the reality. Mm-hmm. And often the reality is, you know, I find if I don't burst into a room and make this big announcement and declaration and, you know, somebody says, you know, what, are, what can I get you to drink? And I'm just like, you know, water would be great right now. They're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, if I don't say, oh, I quit drinking, there's, then, they, then they're kind of like, well, why? Like yeah. what? But if I don't open up that conversation, it often doesn't happen. It can, but then usually what happens, you know, if the conversation starts to happen is people will say, oh, I've kind of been thinking the same thing. Like, I kind of admire that or, you know, tell me more. You know, I've been hearing about this. I've been reading about it. So that's the reality. The the reality generally isn't that people get in your face and Mm -hmm. they're just total jerks. Yeah. (laughs) uh, I mean, you know, sure, there, there is, I mean, if, if we're drinking with a crowd that is just a heavy, heavy drinking crowd every time we get together and you drink heavy and they drink heavy and then all of a sudden you just show up and not drink, if that's kind of the, the cultural norm of, of that group, it, you know, yes, uh, people notice. Right. But um, but generally, people are pretty good about it and pretty respectful. Yeah, I actually saw your post. I loved it. It actually, I'm going to read it because it, it was awesome. It says, if you don't shine a spotlight on the fact that you're not drinking, most people don't either. <laughs> and it's so true. And I and it, again, I, I see so many similarities in what I do and what you do. Like when people are trying to lose weight and they're trying to eat healthy, I always say, and they, they go out to eat and they're like, I'm so nervous about being with people because I, you know, because I have to eat differently. And I always say, don't go in there and be like, everybody, I'm on a diet, so I can't eat blah, blah, blah. Because that just creates the situation, like you're saying. If you go and tell everybody, like, I'm not drinking right now or, you know. Um, but if you just go and ordered healthy, no one would probably bat an eyelash. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, again, I, I was... Um you know, very strict, no gluten for about eight years and worked with people a lot on that. And it's very similar of kind of like, how am I going to, you know, go to the house, somebody's house and I don't eat gluten. And it's like, you know, get the carrots and the dip or the, you know, it doesn't have to be um, a lot of drama. And, um, and and I do find, you know, I mean, talking with clients, how surprised they are that if they don't, again, make a big declaration, even with, you know, girlfriends and people that they, you know, are are with often, and they just order a club soda, how surprised they are that people like the record doesn't screech to a stop. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And people truly don't, they just don't, they just go on, you know, and and people are so surprised with that. Where I do find, um, you know, where there can be some pushback, then it's often the person who's pushing back is questioning and unsteady about their own drinking. Yes. So it becomes a real quick mirror for them. Yes. Or if it has nothing to do with drinking and, and the relationship that you have is already a little sideways. And right. I've had that experience where it was actually with one of my aunts and a girlfriend where they just were kind of, they're kind of those women who just kind of poke, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, it, and they use the alcohol to just kind of poke at me. Mm-hmm. But they would use anything to poke at me. Yeah. <laughs> so I find it's people either you know have their own issue with alcohol, or they're just coming at you sideways because something else is going on with yeah. with the relationship. And it's probably a really good time to just evaluate your friendships sometimes because if you feel like you cannot be with certain people unless you're drinking, I think you need to like evaluate that because that says a lot about the friendship. 
Exactly. Because truly, when you put it to the test and go out in the world, um, most people don't out and out blatantly reject you and ostracize you because you chose to have club soda. Right, exactly. But what I say to people is don't take my word for that. Like go out and field test it (laughs) and you truly will be surprised. I agree. Now we're going to wrap it up, but I do have two big questions here. For people who are listening that right now and they're like, you know, a lot of this sounds like me. Like I think I'm a gray area drinker. Would you say that quitting alcohol is the only option? Mm. <laughs> I I do feel, and again, you know, I said earlier about this thing of like, I, I don't I don't stand here saying everybody should quit drinking alcohol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if it's you know this conversation's resonating and you're like, oh, this was me. Um, I have found, and really from my own experience of going back and forth for years that once I, once we cross that line and our, and and it's not for me like a mental line, it's a biochemical line. Mm -hmm. So my, my circuits, and I believe this for others too, once we drink under a heightened state of grief, which is often the case after the breakup, a divorce, a loss of a child, uh, you know, some sort of loss, a, a career, and our stress hormones are up and activated and we drink it's like this chemical kind of everything just lights up and wires and it's hard to unwire that. Mm -hmm. So can we go back? I think it's hard Mm -hmm. Um, because to me, and this was my experience, you know, I haven't drank for over five years now, but I know what would happen very quickly because I, you know, done it in the past and I drink, I could have a drink right now. Like Mm -hmm. I could have a glass of wine. Right. But then in a couple of days, I'll be like, well, I'll have another glass of wine. And very quickly, I'd be back to, it's like those circuits. It's kind of like having, you know, once we have the chicken pox virus, it lays dormant in the spine. Mm-hmm. And that's how I kind of feel about, about this. There's mm-hmm. a chemical reaction that we can reactivate over and over and over. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Well, my very last question, which uh, probably would be the most powerful for everyone right now who is contemplating if they're a gray area drinker, if they need to quit Jolene, tell me, how has quitting alcohol changed your life? Um, it's changed my life completely. <laughs> my, my work is, is completely different than it was five years ago. Um, this, is, this is my work now, mm-hmm. um, and I love it. Uh, I'm just so passionate about, about women and kind of that, you know, what are we numbing? Um, and also working with healthcare practitioners because a lot of my clients are healthcare practitioners and changing this whole, um, you know, I, I think the healthcare profession needs to really be educated on this. So mm-hmm. I, I love the work. I'm passionate about the work, but um, just, you know, everything. I think I look younger. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 50 in December. And um, I think not drinking for five years is, is a great anti-aging. Absolutely. I've been in perimenopause through all of this. I quit when I was 43. Um, I'm so glad (laughs) that alcohol has it because it was already, you know, I was feeling it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not drinking helps my hormones so much. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and also the, the, just the personal life of, for me, a part of my story was, you know, I, I had this career and I was working, but didn't have the the boyfriend, didn't have the marriage and the family that um, that I wanted. Like it was always missing the mark. I, you know, I was dating guys, they drank a lot, I would drink with them. 
Um, and I, and then with girlfriends, I'd be like, oh, these guys are so unavailable. <laughs> and, and really kind of having to, again, have this come to Jesus moment with myself at 40 saying, but one finger out, three fingers back, uh, the way I'm drinking is, is not, you know, moving me towards what I'm saying I want is that intimate, connected, great relationship. And, um, and I've been in a relationship now for a year and a half and it's been the best relationship with a guy I've ever, ever been in. So, mm. um, and you know, the sleep component, my weight, everything has, has changed. And also to say that it's not, that it's just, you know, unicorns and butterflies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, there's been those moments where it's like, this is the moment where I want to open the bottle of wine. Yeah. So it's not that it's easy, but the benefit is profound. I kind of, honestly, I can't imagine professionally, you know, because corporate wellness um, has, has really changed. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what else kind of I would be doing and even personally. And I, I can't imagine my life if I would have been drinking the last five years. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can honestly say the health benefits that I see for people who stop drinking are off the charts, you know, and like you said, like, like your skin, like my sister, she always says she knows two people that look like they haven't aged their whole life. And you want to know that the one thing those two people have in common is that they never drank alcohol. Interesting. And I'm always like, and they're two men. And she's like, they look so good. They, they've never been, they've never, they're just never been drinking alcohol. They look amazing. Um, I like how you talked about the hormones as well, because So many of us are perimenopausal, my clients, myself as well. And like, this is the time that if our bodies aren't at their cleanest and we have these shifts in hormones that are going to happen, it's just everything is harder on the body. And alcohol, as you said, it's a drug. It's like a poison. How does that play into the hormone changes that we're going through? So I can imagine not drinking is going to make perimenopause a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, I've never had a hot flash. And wow. There's a real connection with, because alcohol um, boosts estrogen. And, you know, high estrogen, we have hot flashes. And it's the estrogen swings, you know, high and low. And, and so I'm not pushing on that with alcohol. Um, and again, I'm not just skating through this. You yeah. know, I, I'm dealing with my own adrenal fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like I have to check myself and, and watch it. And, and also just my the, my breast health. You know, I've mm-hmm. always had uh, the fibronomas, um, kind of some breast cysts and tumors. And, and again, my hypochondria, worrying about those. And, and I'm really glad that I haven't had alcohol in, in my body and, and mammary glands Yeah, more than five years. Yeah, I, I definitely think it, it's powerful. It all... It all plays a role in our health and our life. I have to tell you, I, I am the one of those few people that that you talked about where like alcohol doesn't mean that much to me. So like I can have a drink and that's it. Um, I never have more than one because I got to the place, you know, I definitely did in college. Trust me, I, I, I learned well at UC Santa Barbara. <laughs> but, you know, when I got older, I never liked how I felt after the second glass of wine. And I finally was like, I don't want to feel that way anymore. And I was, that was it for me. I just never had another second glass. And I don't, you know, I have a couple drinks a week, Um, but I could take it or leave it. So I'm one of the few people, like you said, like if you told me tomorrow I had to give it up, I'd be okay with it. Whereas I know the majority of the people I know would die (laughs) if they had to give it up. So, and I think that, I mean, what you said right there too is, you know, if, um, and I, you know, again, I, I know quite a few people like you. Um, where is, you know, if I said to you, you know what, you, you can never have alcohol again for the rest of your life. And you'd be like, 
all right, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you say it to a gray area drinker, they're like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, so that that's a really good kind of distinction too. Cause it's like, you know, saying you can never have a lima bean again. Or right. Juice. So, right. you know, most people are like, all right, it's kind of weird, but okay. Right. Uh, and people who are every now and again drinkers, they're like, okay. Yeah. Um, but the ones who are on the spectrum that all of a sudden it's like, what do you mean? Like, I, I can't imagine kind of forever. So maybe for all those people listening right now who are sort of like, am I? Am I not? We just came up with a good question. Could you imagine life without it? And does it terrify you? Or would you be like, eh, all right, because that might be a defining line. Exactly. All right. Well, tell us um, quickly about what you're doing now, where people can reach you and follow you on social and, and what kind of programs you're offering. Sure. So everything is on my website, grayareadrinkers.com. Uh, my, my TED Talk is there. If people haven't seen that, you can find my podcast that I co-host, uh, again, with Aiden Donnelly Rally. The podcast is called Editing Our Drinking and Our Lives. Um, I do one-on-one coaching, so that's available. I have a self-paced course for 30 days if you're you know questioning feeling like you're going back and forth with all the resources about social stuff and and hormones and sex and and eating balancing um those cravings uh, um you know helping with anxiety so that course is available and then i have a um, membership community for people who have stopped drinking they identify as a gray area drinker um, but now they're like, now I want to talk to others about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want content around nutrition and emotions and, you know, all the stuff that I'm going to put the next steps now that I'm not drinking. And then the final thing is I train practitioners. So I train um, licensed nurses, therapists, other coaches on how to work with clients who are great area drinkers. Awesome. And your social media um, handle is healthy underscore discoveries. Correct. Yeah. So Healthy Discoveries is my is my overarching company, my corporate wellness company. And then Gray Area Drinkers is a subsidiary and piece of that. Okay. Well, I'll make sure to include all of those links in the show notes. So for anybody who would like to get more information, go to earn go to earnthatbody.com, go to the podcast tab, and when you scroll down and see our episode, I will make sure we have all the links in there. And Jolene, thank you so much for sharing your story, giving us your time today, and for truly offering all that you do, because I think you are definitely changing lives. Mm, Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk about this. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. And there you have it. Such a great conversation with Jolene Park today about gray area drinking. And I hope if nothing else, it just sort of opened your eyes about alcohol and perhaps your relationship with alcohol. And maybe you don't have any problems and maybe you do. Whatever it might be, it doesn't make you good and it doesn't make you bad. And really the intention of this episode was just for you to see things in maybe a different way. I know when I watched her TED Talk, it really opened my eyes to things I had never thought about. So I highly recommend, please check out Jolene Park. You can go to her website, grayareadrinkers.com. She has her TED Talk link right on there. You could always Google it. It's a fantastic TED Talk. I highly recommend it. It's 15 minutes about, and it's worth every minute if you'd like to take a watch. 
Um, Her podcast is Editing Our Drinking and Our Lives, and you can get all this information on her website, including all the programs that she's offering. And definitely give her a follow on social, on Instagram. She is healthy underscore discoveries. And I will include all of these links and this information in the show notes. To catch the show notes, just go to earnthatbody.com, go over to the podcast tab, and you pull down, you'll find this episode and all the links will be there. So thank you so much for joining us. I hope you did enjoy the interview today. And once again, Earn That Body, always here to bring you health, fitness, and nutrition information that you can put into play right away. For more information about Kim Eagle's online programs, go to earnthatbody.com. Or check out Earn That Body on all forms of social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube.